Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Well, good morning, family. I do greet you in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus, who is the Christ. I thank God for every opportunity that the Lord allows me to fellowship uh, with the body of Christ, to open up his word, and to just spend time together relating to the body and thinking critically about what God would have us to do as a band of baptized believers. I do praise God for your president. I thank God for Dr. Aiken for not only his passion for theology, but his passion for family and his passion for the Great Commission and his passion for cooperation. Uh, he made the joke when I came in, he saw my CP pen and, and he made the joke. He said, oh, what, what's going on? Are we gonna have a committee or something? And uh, the reason why I wear this pen is not simply because I'm a corporate man, but I believe in the fact that we have to go together. And one of the ways that we're able to advance the gospel together is by believing that we could always do more together through giving through cooperative program. And the reason why you're able to do what you do as a student and receive discounts is because churches all over the nation give through cooperative program. In fact, in West Kentucky, I was at the top, one of the top giving, per capita giving churches through cooperative program called Countryside Baptist Church. Guess where it is, y'all? It's in the country, amen. I, I knew y'all was shocked. And I was at Countryside Baptist Church, about 25 members, and had a great time fellowshipping with them, and they fed me more than I could eat, and then they gave me a plate to take home. And so it was a good day, but I, I think about churches like that when I look at seminary students and I'm reminded that we have to be faithful, amen, to the gospel of Jesus Christ and we have to be faithful to our training so that we can be good stewards over the investments that they've made. I see my man, my boy, my ace boom coom, uh, William Deuce Branch in the back. We went to seminary together at Dallas Theological Seminary. We've been friends, and through the process of time, the Lord has strengthened our friendship, and he's made it richer through time. So I just praise God for you, brother, even though you didn't work out with me this morning. Amen. <laughs> I'm looking at the clock. Uh, Psalm 127 is our text this morning. Psalm 127. Psalm 127, I'm going to read from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. And I memorized this text in the New American Standard Bible, so if I deviate as I'm preaching, just know you're hearing the NASB, amen? But here's the uh, Holman Christian Standard uh, Bible. Hear the word of the Lord. Unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor over it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays alert in vain. In vain you get up early and stay up late, working hard to have enough food. Yes, he gives sleep to the one he loves. Sons are indeed a heritage from the Lord, children 
a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the sons born in one's youth. Happy is the man who has filled his quiver with them. Such men will never be put to shame when they stand and speak with their enemies at the city gate. If I were to put a tag upon this text this morning, I, I'd label it God-centered living. God-centered living. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and we thank you for your mercy. Lord, we thank you for the great privilege of being able to worship you today, being reminded that because of your great love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Father, we did hear our mocking voice amongst the scoffers saying, crucify him, crucify him, and yet he died in our place so that we might have life through him and through him alone mediated through the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit so that we could see the beauty of the gospel and come running asking, what must we do uh, to be saved? Lord, I pray that as we spend these moments together in this psalm, Lord, I pray that through the power of the Spirit that you would illumine this passage and that it will have fruit in our lives. God, we want to glorify your Son and glorify you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And thank God. In 2006, my family and I left Dallas, Texas, where I ministered full time at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship, where Anthony Tyrone Evans serves as the senior pastor. He's most affectionately known to most as Tony Evans. And I had the great privilege the entire time of going through Dallas Seminary, of working in ministry there at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship. Well, the Lord had called me away from ministry in Dallas to, to move to Frankfort, Kentucky in order to serve as a campus pastor or campus missionary for Kentucky State University. And my wife, Tracy, and my three sons, two of my sons, Anthony and Timothy, were little guys. They were four years old at the time and one, and, and little Tristan was just resting, incubating in his mother's womb. When we left Dallas, Texas, it was March, and it was about 75 degrees and sunny in Texas. And when we finally made it past Nashville, and it seemed like we hit Franklin, Kentucky, and we, we started to see this weird stuff, according to my wife, falling out of the sky. It was white. And my wife said, what is this stuff falling out of the sky? Because she's a Delta girl. She grew up in the Mississippi Delta area of southeastern Arkansas. And she says, where have you taken me? And I was like, girl, uh, this is Kentucky. I was born in Kentucky, and, they, and sometimes we get a little snow in March. Amen. But when we arrived there in Frankfurt, I was ministering as best I could with college students from all over uh, the nation there at Kentucky State. And I also served part-time at Georgetown College. And, and I was putting all of my effort, all of my work into trying to build up these two campuses and see students come to Christ. Well, my dad realized that I was pretty busy and he said, to me, he said, son, if I had one thing to do over again with you and, and your older brother and older sister, it would have been to spend more time with you. But because I was 
full time in the army, I couldn't really tell Uncle Sam, wait for a moment. He did 23 years in the army. I was born at Fort Knox and I lived my entire life as a military brat. In fact, I graduated from high school in Killeen, Texas, Fort Hood, Texas on a Friday and guess what? On Saturday, I myself was in basic training at Fort Sill, Oklahoma for OSUT, one-stop unit training. And my dad told me if he had everything to do again, he would spend more time with us. And so he decided to allocate me some funds. He said, if I give you some money, I want you to purchase a game console in order to spend time with my grandsons. Now, at this time, Anthony was about six years old and Timothy was four and Tristan was just crawling around and the best he could do was just slobber over everything. And so I said, okay, dad, I'll I'll buy exactly what you've told me to do. And I purchased a game console. Y'all remember the Wii? Anybody remember the Wii? Amen. I knew I wasn't by myself in this house. And so I bought the Wii and and on the Wii, my boys loved playing Wii sports and their favorite game on Wii sports was baseball. One day, my six-year-old, my four-year-old challenged me to a game of baseball. They said, Daddy, we want to challenge you to this game. And I told them, I said, boys, you can challenge me, but you need to understand something. Daddy doesn't mind putting a shellacking on little boys. And so everybody had their remotes on. We had them tied up tight and, and my six-year-old went up to bat. And as you know, he had to align himself up with the screen and then he had to align himself up with the remote sensor. And my six-year-old took his first bat, pow, home run. The little wee people went wild. Four-year-old goes up and he aligned himself up with the screen and then he aligned himself up with the remote sensor. He took his first swing, another home run. I said, okay, boys, that's pretty good, but let me show you how it's done. And when I got up there, I was out of alignment. You see, I wasn't aligned with the remote sensor and I wasn't aligned with the screen. And so I tried to plant pretty hard and I took my first swing, strike one. I took my second swing, strike two. I took my third swing, strike three, you're out. And the little boys looked at me and said, (laughs) oh, it was shame in the house, it was shame. And eventually the second one gets up again. He aligned himself up with the screen and he aligned himself up with the remote sensor. Pow, home run. Another gets up. He aligns himself up with the screen and he aligned himself up with the remote sensor. Another home run. And now you can hear heart palpitations. (laughs) Oh, I'm nervous now. My, my hands are sweaty and, and, and I was still out of alignment and I, I tried to use all my knowledge, I tried to use all my strength and I swung with all my might, strike one, strike two, strike three, you're out. You see, beloved, a lot of people are striking out today because they're out of alignment. And they're out of alignment because they do not understand that without a high view of God's sovereign rule over the universe, the inevitable result will be self-centered living. If you don't have a high view of God's sovereignty and God's goodness, the inevitable result in your life will be self-centered living. 
You see, I believe Psalm 127 is tailored to teach us how to live lives that are not self-centered, but God-centered. In fact, when you look at Psalm 127, uh, I think that there are two major principles in verses one and two. It simply is this, is you trust yourself, you will lose. Trust yourself and you will lose. And then in verses three through five, the psalmist shows us that if you trust Yahweh, you will win. Trust yourself, you'll lose. Notice how the psalmist opens up in this pilgrim psalm. Now, as many of you know, the Pilgrim Psalms, which begins perhaps at Psalm 120 and works its way to about Psalm 134, 135, depending on who you're talking to, these Pilgrim Psalms are designed to help Israel as she's walking up, ascending up, Song of Ascents, she's ascending up to worship in Jerusalem. And Israel would listen to the the, the voice of the worship leader as she was ascending up. And the worship leader who knew these songs by heart would quote them and they would align themselves up with his voice in order to place their focus on Yahweh's voice. And he would say, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord watches the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, eating painful bread knowing that the Lord gives his beloved even while they sleep. Behold, children are the gift of the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a mighty warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. He shall not be ashamed when he stands before the enemies at the gate. And they would listen to his words every step of the way, putting their focus on the one who deserves our alignment. And so the psalmist shows us in Psalm 127, verse 1, he says, unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor over it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays alert in vain. Now, I like this because he uses two metaphors. And I know you know, being at a school that's serious about expository preaching, you don't want to make metaphors walk on all fours, right? But the two metaphors that I think that he uses for the house and the city refer specifically, the house refers to the family line. And the second metaphor dealing with the city in contemporary terms, one could say that it's dealing with national security. Now y'all can say prove that preacher. I'm gonna do my best. In verse one, notice what he says. He says, unless the Lord builds a house, Now, he uses the covenantal name of God here for Lord. Some of your translations might have the word Lord in all caps to let us know that when the psalmist is writing, unless the Lord builds the house, he wants Israel to remember that the same God who delivered you from Egyptian bondage is the same God who would deliver you from yourself. Oh, I think I need to say that again, don't I? The same God who delivered you, who's put Moses up to stand as the mediator between Israel and Pharaoh, is the same God who would deliver us from our very selves. Because every day that I live, I realize that my biggest enemy is enemy. And I hope you understand that your biggest enemy is in a you. 
And what we need to do is we need to allow God's word to place us on a daily basis back into alignment because we are naturally self-centered. You see, self-centeredness rejects God's sovereignty is what we see in verse 1. Uh, the psalmist is saying, if God does not build the house of the family line, in other words, simply put, he says, if his prints are not on your blueprint, then all your labor will be in vain. In my church, I say, everybody say vain. So everybody say vain, amen. And the word vain here is interesting because in Hebrew Bible, it's not the typical term that we think. It's not havel. It's not the superlative Hevel, Hevelim that we see in Ecclesiastes. No, it's not what Koheleth is using in Ecclesiastes. No, it is the Hebrew term Shav. And the word Shav can connote the idea of emptiness, ruin, or loss. In other words, what the psalmist is saying, if Yahweh is not building the house, if Yahweh is not guarding the city, then your watching and your working will end up empty. Now, when I look at this, I start thinking about something that I love very dear. And you might love it as well. It's, it, it's created with dough and, and sometimes people will put a circle in the middle of it and, and they throw it into hot grease and then it has the tendency of expanding, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? They put sugar on it and, and, and chocolate and sprinkles, donuts. And I love donuts. In fact, if, if I go to Krispy Kreme donuts, I can eat a dozen of Krispy Kreme all by myself. Tell the truth, shame the devil. But do you know if I eat a dozen Krispy Kremes, y'all know in about two hours later, I am going to be hungry again. Because why? It does not fill me. It is literally, it is empty. It will ultimately create loss if I think eating a double, a dozen of Krispy Kreme will make me physically fit. Amen. And the psalmist is almost saying that if you think you can work, if you can work in building up your house without God because of your knowledge and your acuity and your ability, he is saying to us, watch out because your life will end up empty you will be at a loss. In fact, dare I say, we place too much confidence in our personal acuity and our ability, in our knowledge, in our skills. But when you start placing confidence in your knowledge and your skills, what you need to understand is that you've actually disqualified yourself for being in alignment with the only true and living God. Remember what Jeremiah tells Israel. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 9, he says that we should not boast in our what? In our brains, in our brawn, or in our bank account. But since I know there are sisters among us, let's say our beauty <laughs> in our bank account. He says, don't boast in your brains. He says, the wise man should not boast of his what? Wisdom, nor the strong man boast of his strength nor the rich man of his riches, but let him who boasts, boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, righteousness, and justice in the earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. What do we boast in? We boast in our bowing belief that there is only one sovereign, and it is not you, and it is not me. There's only one sovereign in this universe, and it's not us. 
And so the psalmist is helping Israel to remember that she must place her confidence in God, not in her knowledge, not in her skills, not in her acuity, not in her ability, but in Yahweh. And that's my challenge to you, seminarian, professor, president, staff member, executive committee member, I'm saying to you that if we place our confidence in these small hands of ours, we will come up short. And so the psalmist says, self-centeredness rejects God's sovereignty, but not only that, in verse two, he shows us that self-centeredness ridicules human submission. Self-centeredness ridicules human submission. Now notice how the psalmist deals with verse two. He says, in vain you arise early or you get up early and stay up late, working hard to have enough food. Yes, he gives sleep to the one he loves. You see, when I read this, I I realize that the psalmist is not rebuking beloved hard work. No, it's not what he's doing. What the psalmist is doing, what Solomon is helping us to see is that he is rebuking overworking. Right? Because we have the tendency of lauding or praising the overworker, but we loathe the loafer. But in God's mind, God actually sees the overworker and he sees the lazy or the loafer the exact same way. Because they both are arrogant. You see, when you overwork, that means that you don't believe in the creator-creature distinction. Because there's only one person who has the ability to, 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 to go from everlasting to everlasting. But all of us, beloved, are nothing more, dare I say it, than just decorated dust. Do you understand that? I don't care how many square feet you got, you just decorated dust. I don't care how many titles before your name or after your name, you just decorated dust. Whether or not you're from the hood or the hills, from the urban or the suburban, you're just decorated dust. All of us are just decorated dust. And I know it's true because when I read Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, it said that the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils and man became what? A living soul. So it says to us that the only significance that we have as as image bearers is because God has breathed life into us and our bodies now have dignity because the life of God is in us. But we are just decorated dust, beloved. In fact, this was so important to my wife and I as we were raising up our young sons. We actually wrote a song about it. Y'all want to hear it? Here's how I go. Decorated dust. Decorated dust. Everybody in the world is decorated dust. So when you meet an image bearer, don't you make a fuss. Because everybody in the world is decorated dust. Mama and daddy, and then they will respond, decorated dust. AT&T, my sons are Anthony, Timothy, and Tristan are decorated dust. So when you meet an image bearer, don't you make a fuss? Because everybody in the world is decorated dust. At that time, the sitting president was President Barack Obama. We'd say, Barack Obama is decorated dust. And now we say, Donald Trump is decorated dust. Amen. 
Donald Trump is decorated dust. Donald Trump, uh, <laughs> So when you meet an image bearer, don't you make a fuss, because everybody in the world is decorated dust. And since we live in Kentucky, and at that time we lived in Lexington, Kentucky, about seven minutes from the largest worship center in the state of Kentucky, Rupp Arena. I looked at those boys and I got down low and I looked them in their eyes and I said to them, Calipari is decorated dust. And they said, no dad, that's where we draw the line. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just kidding y'all. They didn't say that, but some of y'all think so, right? I'm trying not to see that last shot, North Carolina. I'm in North Carolina. Oh Lord, I mean, oh. So, so when you see the psalmist is saying here, you rise up early, you get up late. Why? Because you do not understand, we do not understand that only God is sovereign. He is the creator. We are creatures. We need to learn how to rest in him. Lest we walk in consistent arrogance. You see, I, I know this is true because notice what the psalmist does in the C part of verse 2. He says he gives sleep to the one he loves. It's interesting how some translate the key particle there because it could go that he gives to his beloved or he provides for his beloved while they're sleeping or it could simply be that he provides his beloved with sleep. Now notice what I keep saying. I keep saying his beloved, ledido, it is, ter- it is a term of intimacy, affection. You know ledido from the Song of Songs. It is intimate. Yahweh is saying, I will provide sleep for my beloved or I will provide for my beloved while you are sleeping. So here's what I need you to do. Learn how to rest in me. Don't ridicule human submission. In fact, when you look at Psalm 121 verse 3, it says, he will not allow your foot to slip. Your protector will not slumber. Indeed, the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. And when I read that, it reminds me of something. I don't have to be the smartest person in this chapel this morning, but it reminds me of this. If God neither slumbers nor sleep, then there's no need in both of us being awake. I'm going to go to sleep, amen? I'm going to rest in him because he is the creator and I'm a creature and I need the rest. He doesn't. Unless I hold you too long. In verses three through five, remember, if we trust Yahweh, we will win. Now, why do I say that? Because in verse three, now, it's interesting how Holman Christian Standard translates, because it translates starting first, which sons are indeed a heritage from the Lord. Other translations, the authorized version actually has the term low, which is, which is an interjection showing strong emotion, right? But then you see other translations, it has, it has, sometimes it has indeed, or sometimes it has behold, another interjection, behold. Now, the reason why I think the interjection is there is because what, what Solomon is doing, what the psalmist is doing is, the psalmist is saying, I've shown you yourself apart from submission to God and his sovereignty. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to say, behold, wake up. And know that only Yahweh has the ability to provide Israel with sons. And some of you are saying, why do you emphasize sons? 
because the Hebrew word there is banim, the masculine plural form. And, and the word banim, it is not to denigrate our sisters. No, don't allow the feminists to cause you to say, look, once again, the Bible doesn't care about women. No, the Bible loves sisters. You know why? Because the last time I checked, a son can't make a daughter or a son without a sister. Amen. There's a high view there, right? Compassionate complementarianism. I love it. I love it. And what we see here is the psalmist is saying, he says, sons are indeed the heritage from the Lord. Why? Because in Israel's economy, as you well know, being a patriarchal society, it means that only sons could stand as the social security for the family. Are y'all tracking with me? The son in Israel's economy was the AARP for Israel. And so when a son was born, the son would be the one who could stand as the mediator at the gate when the elders were contending. If someone was against the family, the son could stand up as the mediator and say, stop. I need to defend my elderly mother and my elderly father and my sister and my brother. The son could stand and give an account. And so the the text has shown us that God's centeredness begins to rest in God's sovereignty because he often provides for us when we least expect it. Behold, sons are the gift of the Lord. It's his gift. But nakalak could also mean his possession, his property. Your sons and your daughters are nothing more than you are a steward over your sons and your daughters. We're stewards over these sacred seeds that God has given us. And there's nothing more important than that stewardship, beloved. And this is why I think he says in verse four, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the sons born in one's youth. Happy is the man, how blessed is the man who has filled his quiver full of them. Such men will never be put to shame when they speak with their enemies at the city gate. You see, God-centeredness rests in God's sovereignty because he often provides for us when we least expect it, but God-centeredness restores human submission. God-centeredness restores human submission. When he uses the illustration of like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the sons born of one's youth. He's saying that when you are precise, when you understand that the ultimate commodity in this life, the, the thing that matters most in your life and in my life, is understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ and then transferring that gospel truth into the heart of, number one, your children or someone else's children, then you get it. You make an A in biblical Hebrew, an A in Greek, an A in Christian education, an A in philosophy, an A in ethics, and you blow it at home, you have blown it. You've blown it. You've missed it. Because the thing that matters most, as the psalmist is showing us, is that when we are aligned with Yahweh, then the people who are the closest to us, namely, if you're married, your wife or your, your husband and your children, those are the ones who deserve the most sweat from your life. Everything else 
is luxury and a dessert. As much as I love being here in chapel this morning, I asked for permission from my beautiful bride who turned 44. She still look good, she 44, amen. If I showed you a picture, you'd be like, oh, she do look good. <laughs> who turns 44 today and she said, yeah, baby, I'm teaching today so we can do something when you get back. And then my three sons are with her today. And they're showering her with love, saying, Mommy, thank you for raising us up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And we look back and we want to say, like Dr. Aiken can say, that our quiver is full of them. I told him in private, and I'll say it publicly, one of the reasons why I love and respect him, number one, is because he seems to be a man who understands that he's nothing more than that decorated dust. He takes the gospel seriously, but he doesn't take himself too seriously. And I like people like that. Amen. And then number two, uh, Kesu Leper, who he talked about, who is on staff at the KBC. I love her to death. She works in executive office, one of our most strongest ministry assistants for the Kentucky Baptist Convention. I love the fact that she loves his son because his son does, treats his daughter well, treats his wife well, her daughter well. See, that's a testimony. It's bigger than a PhD. It's bigger than books you write. It's a testimony. When your mother-in-law is not your outlaw, amen? <laughs> One brother like, yeah, amen, praise the Lord. <laughs> I won't look at you, bro. I won't look at you. But as I close, it says, such men will never be put to shame when they speak with their enemies at the city gate. Simply put, the psalmist is telling us that God-centered living will give us the ability to speak with wisdom and with winsome words when people contradict the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God. But as I look at this passage, I would be remiss if I stopped us here in light of the fact that we have an entire corpus of Scripture in the progress of Revelation. And I love the fact that the sons stand as the mediator on the behalf of the family. But there's something even greater than, than th these sons who stand as the mediator on the behalf of the family. And it is the fact that our son will stand before the greatest enemy, the accuser of the brethren. And, our, and his son, Jesus Christ, will be the one who will give us the right to the tree of life. Because we are in the sun, we don't have to worry about the enemy who's at the gate saying that they've fallen short of your glory. He'll say, yes, but I died in their place. You see, there's, there's a greater sun that this text is pointing us to. And that sun is Jesus Christ. Yeah, we, we thank God for Yahweh in the Old Testament, but I sure thank God that before the foundation of the earth, Yahweh decided to send Yeshua to die on the behalf of sinners so that you and I might have a right to the tree of life. You know, beloved, I'll tell you this. I kept striking out watching those boys. I was striking out. They were killing me. And eventually, you know what I did? I bent down a little bit and I lined myself up with the screen and I lined myself up with the remote sensor, and I barely swung that remote. Pow! Home run. They said, Daddy, how'd you do it? 
I said, I watched you. I watched you. Jesus Christ is the son that we're called to watch because only he's the home run hitter. When we strike out, he picks us up and he pushes us forward and he tells us, get back in alignment because you are my beloved and I love you. Father, thank you so much for my brothers and sisters in Christ here at Southeastern Seminary. Thank you for the vision of this seminary, for the leadership of this seminary. I pray that you would protect my brothers and sisters in Christ from the evil one, that we would walk in the newness of life, and that we would experience your great joy because your gift is your son. In Jesus' name, amen and thank God. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.